This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gemma Blythe. The Golden Road by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter 2 A Will, A Way, and a Woman. One day, over a hundred years ago, Ursula Townley was waiting for Kenneth McNair in a great beech wood, where brown nuts were falling and an October wind was making the leaves dance on the ground like pixie people. What are pixie people? demanded Peter, forgetting the story girl's dislike of interruptions. Hush, whispered Cecily. That is only one of the awkward man's poetical touches, I guess. There were cultivated fields between the grove and the dark blue gulf, but far behind, and on each side, were woods, for Prince Edward Island a hundred years ago was not what it is today. The settlements were few and scattered, and the population so scanty that old Hugh Townley boasted that he knew every man, woman, and child in it. Old Hugh was quite a noted man in his day. He was noted for several things. He was rich, he was hospitable, he was proud, he was masterful. And he had for daughter the handsomest young woman in Prince Edward Island. Of course, the young men were not blind to her good looks, and she had so many lovers that all the other girls hated her. You bet, said Dan aside. But the only one who found favor in her eyes was the very last man she should have pitched her fancy on, at least if old you were the judge. Kenneth McNair was a dark-eyed young sea captain of the next settlement, and it was to meet him that Ursula stole to the beechwood on that autumn day of crisp wind and ripe sunshine. Old you had forbidden his house to the young man, making such a scene of fury about it that even Ursula's high spirit wailed. Old Yu had really nothing against Kenneth himself. But years before, either Kenneth or Ursula was born, Kenneth's father had beaten Yu Townley in a hotly contested election. Political feeling ran high in those days, and old Yu had never forgiven the McNair his victory. The feud between the families dated from that tempest in the provincial teapot, and the surplus of votes on the wrong side was a reason why, thirty years after, Ursula had to meet her lover by stealth, if she met him at all. Was the McNair a conservative or a grit? asked Felicity. It doesn't make any difference what he was, said the story girl, impatiently. Even a Tory would be romantic a hundred years ago. Well, Ursula couldn't see Kenneth very often, for Kenneth lived fifteen miles away, and was often absent from home in his vessel. On this particular day, it was nearly three months since they had met. The Sunday before, young Sandy McNair had been in Carlisle Church. He had risen at dawn that morning, walked barefooted for eight miles along the shore, carrying his shoes, hired a harbor fisherman to row him over the channel and then walked eight miles more to the church at Carlisle. Less it is to be feared, from a zeal for holy things that he might do an errand for his adored brother, Kenneth. He carried a letter, which he contrived to pass into Ursula's hand in the crowd as the people came out. 
This letter asked Ursula to meet Kenneth in the beechwood the next afternoon, and so she stole away there when suspicious father and watchful stepmother thought she was spinning in the granary loft. It was very wrong of her to deceive her parents, said Felicity primly. The story girl couldn't deny this, so she evaded the ethical side of the question skillfully. I am not telling you what Ursula Townley ought to have done, she said loftily. I am only telling you what she did do. If you don't want to hear, you needn't listen, of course. There wouldn't be many stories to tell if nobody ever did anything she shouldn't do. Well, when Kenneth came, the meeting was just what might have been expected between two lovers who had taken their last kiss three months before. So it was a good half hour before Ursula said, Oh, Kenneth, I cannot stay long. I shall be missed. You said in your letter that you had something important to talk of. What is it? My news is this, Ursula. Next Saturday morning, my vessel, the fair lady, with her captain on board, sails at dawn from Charlottetown Harbor, bound for Buenos Aires. At this season, this means a safe and sure return next May. Kenneth, cried Ursula. She turned pale and burst into tears. How can you think of leaving me? Oh, you are cruel. Why no, sweetheart, laughed Kenneth. The captain of the fair lady will take his bride with him. We'll spend our honeymoon on the high seas, Ursula, and the cold Canadian winter under southern palms. You want me to run away with you, Kenneth? exclaimed Ursula. Indeed, dear girl, there's nothing else to do. Oh, I cannot, she protested. My father would... will not consult him until afterward. Come, Ursula, you know there's no other way. We've always known it must come to this. Your father will never forgive me for my father. You won't fail me now. Think of the long parting if you sent me away alone on such a voyage. Pluck up your courage, and we'll let Townleys and McNairs whistle their moldy feuds down the wind while we sail southward in the fair lady. I have a plan. Let me hear it, said Ursula, beginning to get back her breath. There is to be a dance at the Springs Friday night. Are you invited, Ursula? Yes. Good. I am not, but I shall be there, in the fir grove behind the house, with two horses. When the dancing is at its height, you'll steal out to meet me. Then, tis but a fifteen-mile ride to Charlottetown, where a good minister, who is a friend of mine, will be ready to marry us. By the time the dancers have tired their heels, you and I, We'll be on our vessel, able to snap our fingers at fate. And what if I do not meet you in the fir grove, said Ursula, a little impertinently. If you do not, I'll sail for South America the next morning, and many a long year will pass ere Kenneth McNair comes home again. Perhaps Kenneth didn't mean that, but Ursula thought he did, and it decided her. She agreed to run away with him. Yes, of course, that was wrong, too, Felicity. She ought to have said, No, I shall be married respectably from home, and have a wedding and a silk dress and bridesmaids and lots of presents. But she did not. She wasn't as prudent as Felicity King would have been. She was a shameless hussy, said Felicity, venting on the long-dead Ursula 
that anger she dare not visit on the story girl oh no felicity dear she was just a lass of spirit i'd have done the same and when friday night came she began to dress for the dance with a brave heart she was to go to the springs with her uncle and aunt who were coming on horseback that afternoon and would then go on to the springs in old use carriage which was the only one in carlisle then they were to leave in time to reach the springs before nightfall for the october nights were dark and the wooded roads rough for travelling when ursula was ready she looked at herself in the glass with a good deal of satisfaction yes felicity she was a vain baggage that same ursula but that kind didn't all die out a hundred years ago and she had good reason for being vain she wore a sea-green silk which had been brought out from england a year before and worn but once at the christmas ball at government house a fine stiff rustling silk it was and over it shone ursula's crimson cheeks and gleaming eyes and masses of nut-brown hair as she turned from the glass she heard her father's voice below loud and angry growing very pale she ran out into the hall her father was already halfway upstairs his face red with fury in the hall below ursula saw her stepmother looking troubled and vexed at the door stood malcolm ramsay a homely neighbor youth who had been courting ursula in his clumsy way ever since she grew up ursula had always hated him ursula shouted old you come here and tell this scoundrel he lies he says that you met kenneth mcnair in the beech grove last tuesday tell him he lies tell him he lies ursula was no coward she looked scornfully at poor ramsay the creature is a spy and a tale-bearer she said but in this he does not lie i did meet kenneth mcnair last tuesday and you dare to tell me this to my face roared old you back to your room girl back to your room and stay there take off that finery you go to no more dances you shall stay in that room until i choose to let you out not a word i'll put you there if you don't go in with you eh and take your knitting with you occupy yourself with that this evening instead of kicking your heels at the springs he snatched a roll of gray stocking from the hall table and flung it into ursula's room ursula knew she would have to follow it or be picked up and carried in like a naughty child so she gave the miserable ramsay a look that made him cringe and swept into her room with her head in the air the next moment she heard the door locked behind her her first proceeding was to have a cry of anger and shame and disappointment that did no good and then she took to marching up and down her room it did not calm her to hear the rumble of the carriage out of the gate as her uncle and aunt departed oh what's to be done she sobbed kenneth will be furious he will think i have failed him and he will go away hot with anger against me if i could only send a word of explanation i know he would not leave me but there seems to be no way at all though i have heard that there's always a way when there's a will oh i shall go mad 
If the window were not so high, I would jump out of it. But to break my legs or my neck would not mend the matter. The afternoon passed on. At sunset, Ursula heard hoofbeats and ran to the window. Andrew Kinnear of the Springs was tying his horse to the door. He was a dashing young fellow and a political crony of old you. No doubt he would be at the dance that night. Oh, if she could get speech for but a moment with him. When he had gone into the house, Ursula, turning impatiently from the window, tripped and almost fell over the big ball of homespun yarn her father had flung on the floor. For a moment she gazed at it resentfully. Then, with a gay little laugh, she pounced on it. The next moment she was at her table, writing a brief note to Kenneth McNair. When it was written, Ursula unwound the gray ball to a considerable depth, pinned the note on it, and rewound the yarn over it. A gray ball, the color of the twilight, might escape observation, where a white missive fluttering down from an upper window would surely be seen by someone. Then she softly opened her window and waited. It was dusk when Andrew went away. Fortunately, old Hugh did not come to the door with him. As Andrew untied his horse, Ursula threw the ball with such good aim that it struck him, as she had meant it to do, squarely on the head. Andrew looked up at her window. She leaned out, put her finger warningly on her lips, pointed to the ball, and nodded. Andrew, looking somewhat puzzled, picked up the ball, sprang to his saddle, and galloped off. So far, well, thought Ursula. But would Andrew understand? Would he have wit enough to think of exploring the big knobby ball for its delicate secret? And would he be at the dance after all? The evening dragged by. Time had never seemed so long to Ursula. She could not rest or sleep. It was midnight before she heard the patter of a handful of gravel on her window panes. In a trice, she was leaning out. Below in the darkness stood Kenneth McNair. Oh, Kenneth, did you get my letter? And is it safe for you to be here? Safe enough. Your father is in bed. I've waited two hours down the road for his light to go out and an extra half hour to put him to sleep. The horses are there. Slip down and out, Ursula. We'll make Charlotte down by dawn yet. That's easier said than done, lad. I'm locked in. But do you go out behind the new barn and bring the ladder? You will find there. Five minutes later, Miss Ursula, hooked and cloaked, scrambled soundlessly down the ladder, and in five more minutes she and Kenneth were riding along the road. There's a stiff gallop before us, Ursula, said Kenneth. I would ride to the world's end with you, Kenneth McNair, said Ursula. Oh, of course, she shouldn't have said anything of the sort, Felicity. But you see, people had no etiquette departments in those days. And when the red sunlight of a fair October dawn was shining over the gray sea, the fair lady sailed out of the Charlottetown harbor. On her deck stood Kenneth and Ursula McNair, and in her hand, as a most precious treasure, the bride carried a ball of gray homespun yarn. Well, said Dan, yawning, I like that kind of story. Nobody goes and dies in it. That's one good thing. Did old you forgive Ursula? I asked. The story stopped there in the brown book, said the story girl. But the awkward man says he did, after a while. 
It must be rather romantic to be run away with, remarked Cecily, wistfully. Don't you get such silly notions in your head, Cecily King, said Felicity, severely. End of chapter 2 A Will, A Way, and A Woman